Good to be with you. Uh, first of all, I want to say thank you, thank you, thank you for your prayers, for the messages that we received. If, if you don't know what I'm talking about, that's okay. Um, my dad, who planted a church in Borger in 1980 and pastored it for 22 years and then pastored a church down in the Austin area for another few years until he retired in 2013, <clears throat> he passed away from dementia and Parkinson's the week before Thanksgiving, uh, surrounded by family and my mom and uh, aunts and uncles and, and all kinds of family there and friends. And they sang to the Lord and thanked God for His life. And they read Scripture over Him as He breathed His last breath. Uh, and we got to celebrate His life uh, the week of Thanksgiving. I preached His memorial service there. Uh, that's, that's a tough thing to do is to preach uh, my dad's service. Uh, someone who, he was only about five foot five, but he was a giant among men. Uh, just an incredible person. Uh, so thank you so much for your prayers. We felt them. Uh, we felt the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ in those moments uh, when we just felt like everything was going to fall apart. My mom is an incredible woman. Uh, and she texts us every morning stuff from her devotional. And my sister and I are falling apart. And she's like, hey, the Lord has us. And He's not going to let us go. So thank you so much for your prayers and for your concern. Um, believe it or not, this is my last time to preach. Unless Jeremy just has a different plan. My last time to preach uh, at Redeemer Pampa. Uh, I have been a church planning resident uh, for a year now. And uh, it feels like it's gone by very quickly, um, obviously because of COVID and things like that. Things uh, are interesting, but we, we so look forward to the work that the Lord is doing in uh, Borger. And it's all stuff that we can't take credit for. Uh, from the very beginning, we've echoed Rex McKay's words and that God is driving the bus. And a lot of times I've tried to elbow him out of the way uh, and it just doesn't work. Uh, so I go to bed every night thinking I have no clue what I'm doing, but God does, and uh, I'm thankful for that. So this morning, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spare you from a sermon introduction uh, that talks about how interesting this season has been or how much suffering we've seen or experienced. I think all of us are aware of the reality <clears throat> uh, of, of what's taking place in 2020. Uh, there's there's a fatigue setting in for us. Would you agree that there's this fatigue that's setting in as you scroll through social media or you turn the news on in the morning? There's just a fatigue that's setting in that, that we're ready for something different. Uh, some of us, including myself, have spent much time wondering when will things go back to normal or just the way things were uh, before this year started. And there's this different anticipation uh, coming with the year 2021. Does it offer us anything different? Is it more of the same, or will we, will we continue to see what 2020 brought us? So there's a, a very real anticipation for us. From the very beginning, just as Jeremy was talking about this morning, there's the people of God have lived in this waiting period since, uh, since the very beginning. In Genesis chapter 1 and 2, God creates all things good. 
It's important for us to know that as the people of God, that when God says something is good, He places His affection on those things. He says, this is a good thing that I've done because I am a good God. And then in Genesis chapter 3, we see that it all comes unraveled. There's this decreation narrative. God is creating, and then in Genesis chapter 3, we see that man and woman believe the lie of the serpent, and they take and eat of the tree that God said not to. God said, don't eat of this tree, and they go and they eat of it. They live in rebellion in the garden. So because God is a good God, He has to curse all of creation. He starts with the serpent, and then he, he moves on to man and woman, and He curses all of creation. So the frustration that you and I feel on a daily basis, the frustration that you might feel at work, is because of the curse that God placed on creation in Genesis chapter 3. We live as, as captives, enslaved to sin, and it, we need release, we need redeeming, we need restored. This is the curse that God puts on creation. And then we fast forward to the New Testament. And just like in the creation narrative in Genesis, we see this woman come into the picture. Her name is Mary. And Mar there Mary is confronted by this angel. And the angel says, do not be afraid. For I bring you good news that you are going to bear the Son of God. And I like to parallel the Old Testament and the New Testament because in the Old Testament, we see the Spirit hovering over the chaos, hovering over the waters before He begins to create. And in Luke chapter 1, we see the Holy Spirit overshadowing Mary, just like in Genesis chapter 1. And there in her womb, He conceives the Son of God. See, there is this anticipating of the coming of the Messiah. The One who has been foretold of to save God's people and redeem and rescue the lost. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God places this curse and He says that He preaches the first Gospel there. He says, yes, I'm cursing you, but I'm saying that there is someone that is coming to redeem the people coming to rescue the lost. I'm going to have you turning in a lot of places this morning. And we've spent some time in uh, 1 Samuel over the last few weeks. And like I said earlier, I like to parallel the Old Testament and the New Testament. In 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 1-10, through 10, we see that Hannah sings this song when she find out, finds out that she's going to have a baby. She sings this song, this prayer she prays to God. And then you flip over to Luke chapter 1, verses 46-56, through 56, and Mary does the very same thing. When she finds out that she's going to bear the Son of God, she sings a song of praise. And I want to give you some homework, okay? Go home today and read through 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, and then flip over and look at Luke 1, 46 through 56, and compare there, compare notes, these songs that are being sung by these women. They both sing a song of praise to God, and that they believe in the faithfulness of what he's going to do. That he humbles the proud, he drives 
the proud away from His presence. And those who are in humble estate, He brings them to Himself. We need to continue to look back, to look forward. This is what the season of Advent brings us, is that we look back to see the faithfulness of God, to look forward to what is coming. So I want to ask you some questions before we move forward. How are we as the people of God, how are we waiting? Let let me get a little bit more specific here. What if the vaccine doesn't work? How are we waiting? What will the next four years look like in the United States? How are we waiting? How much more of this tension and division can we afford? How are we waiting? I want you to turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. We're going to be in verses 25 through 38. We see this story in Luke chapter 2 of these, of these two people, Simeon and the prophetess Anna. They are waiting and anticipating the coming of the Messiah and they see Him with their own eyes. Let's read this story. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 25. It says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. This was Jesus coming in the flesh. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the, parent, when the parents, meaning Mary and Joseph, brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Verse 33, And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed him and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher, who was advanced in years, living, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of Him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. So we see the story of these two people who are waiting. They are anticipating the coming of the Messiah. They are seeing the coming of the good news, the anticipated one. The Gospel meets them face to face in way of a baby in the temple courts. The hope of Israel is now among them in the flesh. Last week, Jeremy, his topic was peace. And this is how God brings peace. God gives His people peace by way of the hope 
that He brings in Christ. I want to say that one more time. If, if you're a note taker, God gives His people peace by way of the hope that He brings in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the good news of the Gospel. The Prince of Peace, even as a baby, gives His people hope of what is to come. So I want us to stop for a moment. Just take a moment and think back on the faithfulness of God in your specific story. I know many of us for this season, for Thanksgiving season and for the Christmas season, for some of you who are parents who have lost children, and you sit in that empty bedroom and you cry and you long just to hear their voice again, to hear them come through that door. How are we waiting in this season? And I believe that we can do both, that we can mourn and we can look forward in joy and hope, knowing what is coming. And we can look back and see the faithfulness of God and, and just think about the good news of the Gospel that Jesus came in the flesh, that He was conceived in the womb of Mary. And that from the moment of His conception, He was headed to my salvation. The moment of my conception, I was headed to my own destruction. I only wanted my own way, but Jesus came in the flesh to live the very life that I could not live. To meet the demands of the law that I could not meet. He died the death that I deserved to die on that Roman cross. And after three days, defeated death, was resurrected in glory, and after that, ascended to the right hand of the, of the Father where He intercedes for us. That is our hope of glory, is Christ the King in the flesh. Look at me for just a second. I want, I want to tell you this. It should be comforting to us as the people of God that Jesus, our King, is praying for us. That He sits at the right hand of the Father and He's saying, look at my children. Look. Look. They are in Me. They are united to Me. They are Mine. They belong to Me. I purchased them. I transferred them from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. They are Mine. I've sealed them with My Spirit. So I want to spend the majority of our time in Romans chapter 8. If you would turn to Romans chapter 8. I want to do my best to give you a, a biblical definition of hope during this Advent season. Romans chapter 8. We're going to be in verses 18 through 25. But before we get there, I want to give you some context. Think of all that has taken place that we see in the account that Luke writes for us in the book of Acts in the story of the Apostle Paul and the early church. Think of all that's taken place. Romans is written, the book of Romans is written to Christians living as dual citizens in the superpower of Rome. There is a reality for them. That, that, is, that is one, it's, it's not easy living for them to live in Rome. They live as rejected and hated in that particular society. This was not simple times for these early Christians. They were dying at the hands of tyranny. And the Gospel continued to advance. The Gospel continued to move forward. Churches were being planted. 
Just like right now, in the times that we live with the coronavirus, churches are being planted. You can't just sit and look at that and be like, oh, God's not involved in that. Did you know that we are almost fully funded without any internal giving for our church for the first year? That, that's stuff that only God can do. That's stuff Jeremy can't do that. He can't conjure that up. I can't do that. The Gospel continues to advance even in these times. So where was the early church's hope? In this very uh, specific chapter in Romans chapter 8, J.I. Packer, this, this great theologian who just passed a few months ago, he calls this the Mount Everest of the Bible. This is the very Mount Everest, the very pinnacle of God's grace is what Paul writes about in this chapter. It is truly what living in the Spirit is about. To live as adopted sons and daughters who are free and they are rescued by God and for God. So I want to look at a few specific verses. Romans 8, starting in verse 18, it says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it. In what? In hope. Verse 21, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Listen for our word in these next two verses. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it patience. Incredible verses that we read in Paul's letter to the Romans. I want to break these few verses down for us as I give us, I try my best to give us a biblical definition of what hope is. In verse 18, there's this full stop here. Paul says, consider, ponder, observe that this life is momentary. Colossians chapter 2, verse 17, just to paraphrase this for you, it tells us that, that the things that we see and feel are a shadow of the things that are to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. What is to come for us as the people of God is what we have already obtained. That we are seated in the heavenly places with Christ Himself. I believe that on that day a few weeks ago when my dad breathed his last breath, that he saw Christ the King face to face, welcomed Him home, satisfied forever. So what we, we live in this tension of this already and not yet moment in time. Look at verse 19. Paul speaks of this groaning that's taking place in creation. I was thinking about doing a groan for you guys, but I think I might uh, 
yeah, people might be tuning in online and think it's a different church, but um, there's this groaning, this, this, this sense of that we need release, we need redemption, we need rescue. All of creation is groaning. How? How is creation groaning? All you have to do is click on social media or turn on the news and you see the groaning that's taking place. Hurricanes. Mass murders. All the sadness and disease that we see taking place before our eyes. There is a groaning taking place in creation. Why? Because all of creation is captive to sin. It is captive to the curse that God placed on it. So again, we look back to look forward. The curse God put on the whole world because of sin. In Genesis chapter 3, all of creation suffers and groans. There is this longing to make things right. A looking forward to what is coming in the consummation of Christ's return. Look at verse 20. I want to read this one for us one more time. Verse 20, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it in hope. So what does this mean? We have to do some, some real thinking here. Is that God placed a curse on creation. And then it has these two words that says, not willingly. Is that God didn't, wasn't joyous about this. He didn't find pleasure in placing a curse on creation. But here's why He did it. Two more words. In hope. In hope of what He was going to do. In the sending of His Son, Jesus, to come and make all things right for the people of God. In hope, creation is subjected to futility. This is God's response to sin. God takes sin seriously. Please hear that this morning. That God takes sin so seriously that the wicked will be punished. And in place of that, for the people of God, Jesus is punished in our place on that cross. God takes sin seriously. Look at verses 22 and 23. In hope... That word anchors us there. In hope, the creation will be set free from its bondage to corruption. This, this word that Paul uses is this corroding, this, this breaking down that's taking place here. This wasting away. In verse 23, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. He's speaking very specifically to the people of God here. Grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Look at me, church. If Jesus suffered, His people suffered. That is how He purifies His church. Look up just a little bit on chapter 8, verse 17. And it says, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we what? 
We suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. Flip over to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10. The writer of Hebrews says this, For it was fitting that He for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through what? Suffering. Perfect through suffering. In Psalm 121, verses 1-2, through the psalmist uses this 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 picture for us that my eyes look to the hills and there's no help coming for me. My help comes from the Lord. There's this waiting, this anticipating that's taking place here. That I'm suffering. That this is, this is not a fun place for me to be. And I keep looking to the hills and there's no help coming. My help comes from the Lord. He reminds Himself. What does it mean to wait eagerly? It's this picture that Paul uses for us to sit on the end of our chair anticipating what is coming. But also to wait patiently. Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, he gives us the fruits of the Spirit. And one of those is patience. Is that We sit on the end of our chair waiting, anticipating what is coming, but we wait patiently. displaying the fruit that we bear. That we preach the Gospel to the world and we display it with our lives in the way that we wait. There is a very real resurrection that is coming. If Jesus died, so we die. And just like He was resurrected, we will be resurrected one day. He assures us of that in verse 23. So I want to look at our last two verses. Verses 24 and 25. This is where our biblical definition of hope comes from. What hope saves us? Jesus is the hope that saves us. And this is not some pat Sunday school answer. Jesus is the very embodiment of hope. Hope is not this word that we're trying to to figure out and find out from, from Google or anything like that, but Jesus is the very embodiment of hope. Flip over, if you would, to Hebrews again. Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews 6, verse 19 says this, For we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. Guess who it's speaking about there? Jesus. He is the very embodiment of hope. So hope defined is a confidence that what God says will happen, will happen. Why? We look back to look forward. We look back on the faithfulness of God to look forward at to what is coming. Paul reminds the hearers here in these last two verses that we see not with our physical eyes, but we see with our eyes of faith God has given us. 
So if you're a note taker, I'm going to give you the definition for hope. Okay. In parentheses, you can put Jesus as the embodiment of hope. That's the definition that we need. But here it is. And if, if you're in a GC, which I hope all of you are, you're going to need this tonight or whenever y'all meet. What is hope? It's a confident anticipation of what is to come made sure by what has taken place. A confident anticipation of what is to come made sure by what has taken place. This is not some blind optimism or pie-in-the-sky attitude. We have a living hope in Christ the King. We have a sure and steady anchor to our souls, the hope of glory, who is Jesus Himself. This is our hope of glory. A few years ago, I'm going to end with this. A few years ago, we were living in Amarillo. I got a phone call from a friend. And he said, Ricky, <clears throat> I don't speak Spanish. I know you speak Spanish fluently. Um, can you come to Mexico with me to this remote village because we want to help build a bigger church building for this church? Some people donated some money and we want to go down there and help them do this. And I said, sure. So he bought me a plane ticket. I flew to where he lived and we drove about 12, 13 hours down into this remote village in Mexico. So as, as my friend and I are driving down and we're talking, he says, <clears throat> so I need to tell you this, they have no idea that we're coming. He said, there's no, there's no phones, there's no way to get a hold of them, they don't do email, they don't do internet, nothing like that. So they have no idea that we're coming. We're just going to try to drive around and find the pastor and hopefully he still lives in the same place because we helped them do a few things about five years ago. So we're, we get to this village, it's about 11 o'clock at night. We're driving around this village, you can barely see anything. We drive up to the pastor's house, and there's no one there. So the neighbor comes out, and they're like, are you looking for pastor so-and-so? And my friend's like, yeah, we're looking for him. And he said, this is a Tuesday night. And he says, well, they've been down at the church every night, and they have loud music going. I don't know what's going on down there, but they're, they're down at the church. So we drive around until we finally find this church. And we get out of the truck, and we're walking up to this church, and we hear this loud music, like just worship music in Spanish going. And sure enough, we walk in the door of that church, and the pastor turns around and greets us. And he said, we knew you were coming, we just didn't know when. They said, we've been fasting and praying for the last few weeks that someone would come and help us build, add on to our church, because we'd have no more room. And we're reaching so many people for Christ in our village that we have no more room. We're having to do four or five services on Sunday. And we've been praying and fasting and asking the Lord to come to send someone that will help us big, build a bigger building, bigger facilities, so that we could have all these people in, more people in that could hear the gospel. And this stuck with me. The pastor said this. He said, we were certain that you would come. We were certain that our God, who has been faithful from the beginning, will continue to be faithful till now. That He was going to send someone that was going to help us. This is the right now power of the Gospel. That we live like free people whose absolute deliverance is to come.
How do we know? We look back at God's faithfulness. His track record is perfect. Me as a husband, as a dad, my track record is not perfect. In fact, you could probably talk to my kids and they would say, yeah, he misses a lot. But we look back on the track record of God and it is perfect. Though it seems chaotic at times, His track record is perfect. Therefore, my plea to you during this Christmas season, just as we see this great hall of fame, hall of faith of fame in Hebrews chapter 11, we see all these people that the the writer of Hebrews is speaking about that in faith they believe. Let's look at what anchors them. Look at Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews 12. Right after we see this hall of, hall of fame of faith people. Hebrews 12, starting in verse 1, it says, Therefore, there's our word. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, chapter 11, Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand the throne of God. This qualifies their faith. This qualifies our faith as the people of God that it is Jesus Himself who founds and perfects our faith. I'm hoping that this is liberating for us as a church. That you don't have to muster up some kind of faith, but it is God who founds it and perfects it in Christ. And He will see it all the way through. So I want to end with this question. Where do you find your hope this morning? I want you to know and believe that the Lord Jesus Christ loves you. If you're in this room and you're feeling a conviction of sin and you cannot run from that, I'm praying that that is the Spirit drawing you to Himself. And He will not cast you out. As we end our time here in just a few moments, we're going to have some people in the back of the room who want to pray for you, who want to speak with you. Please. Because we know that God takes sin seriously. One day, if you are apart from Christ, you will have to pay for your sin apart from Christ. But if we are found in Him, our hope of glory, our sure and steady anchor on that day when we breathe our last breath and we open our eyes to see the King, we will know we will be found in Him. Where is your hope this morning? Is your hope found in Jesus? Or is your hope found in maybe what the next four years, the next eight years will bring? Is your hope found in the success of a vaccine? 
Is your hope found in not wearing masks anymore? Is your hope found in maybe finding some normalcy? We will, as a people of God, suffer. But our suffering is not forever. We will find relief when Jesus comes to make all things right. Let's pray. God, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that it is true. We thank You that in it we can find hope. And in hope, we see the Lord Jesus Christ. The One who came to save us from our sin. The One who came to set us apart for a mission. God, I ask that if there's anyone in this room who finds themselves apart from You, that they would feel the conviction of sin, that they would repent of their sin and turn and believe in You. And God, as Your people, I ask that if we are finding our hope in other things, that we we would repent of those things and turn from those things and look to the Lord Jesus Christ. Confident in what He has done and confident in what He will do. We look forward to Your return, Lord Jesus. Holy Spirit, we ask that You would continue to work in our hearts as many of us suffer or may suffer in the future. We ask that You would continue to make us like Jesus. Work in us. Transform our minds. Transform our hearts. Transform our desires, our appetites. To be one who, who wants to be in gospel community. One who wants to read Your Word. Wants to want, want, we want to spend time in prayer. Looking forward to the coming of the King. We thank You for this season where we can stop and we can remember what You've done and look forward to what You will do. We love You. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.